Good morning. The scripture reading today is taken from Mark chapter 1, verses 4 to 11. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Good morning, everyone. Um, I've been reflecting a lot on the passage of time recently. Uh, if you read this month's Delve, you'll already know that. I guess I wrote something about it. But uh, I've been reflecting on how sometimes, like when you're really enjoying what you're doing, time seems to speed by. Well, at other times, perhaps like the next 20 some odd minutes, time seems to drag on so slowly. <laughs> now, this kind of reflection, I think, is fairly common around Christmas and New Year's. Uh, as many of us look ahead to the potentials and the priorities, and we look at back at what you have done another year over and a new one just begun. And of course, to add to that, the craziness of what's happened this week uh, in the United States with the attack on Capitol Hill incited by their own president, the way COVID is continuing to increase its grip in Ontario and the rest of Canada. For many of us, our relationship to time right now is one simply of holding on, of praying the next few months of waiting and lockdowns and vaccinations and political upheaval will go by as quickly as possible. Now, something that Christians have practiced throughout the centuries uh, that helps us to experience this passage of time as a form of worship is called the liturgical calendar, or the Christian calendar, for those of us who uh, aren't familiar with the word liturgical. We've integrated this liturgical Christian calendar into our worship as a community for quite a long time here at Spring Garden, in our, in our Spring Garden family. Some of you may have observed um, that the painting on the pulpit uh, changes uh, with the liturgical seasons, and that's why, uh, why our pulpit uh, changes. And Right now it's green because of the season that we are in. Of course, you won't be able to see that until Sam does the announcements. For those of you who aren't familiar, um, an example of uh, this calendar, of course, is Christmas. Every year we remember, we celebrate, and in some ways we reenact the birth of Jesus. And leading to Christmas was a season called Advent, a time of waiting and longing for God to come and to make right all that is wrong with the world. 
Unlike our secular Christmas calendar, which starts with shopping the day after Halloween on November 1st, and all the Christmas music, the all-Christmas music radio station 98.1 CHFI that begins on November 2nd, the Christmas season in the Christian calendar actually starts on Christmas Day, and it goes for 12 days until January 5th. Hence, we sing uh, 12 days of Christmas. And then following Christmas, uh, we have the season which is called Ordinary Time. And Ordinary Time goes all the way until Lent. Lent, of course, being the time that we turn our focus uh, towards Jesus' journey to the cross. Now, Ordinary Time is actually the longest of all of the liturgical seasons. uh, As we have these next, I think it's this year, I think it's about six weeks. Uh, But then it begins again after Pentecost. And uh, sorry, I'm just noticing that the camera's flipping around, so hopefully we aren't losing any of you. If we do, you can just pause and uh, wait for us to come back. Um, Yeah, so ordinary time. uh, Then actually after Pentecost, when we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit, uh, ordinary time comes back again and goes all the way uh, until Advent, which, as I said, is when we start our journey towards Christmas. Now, ordinary time, uh, the word ordinary actually comes from the word ordinal, which is about counting, counting a specific order or a rank of something. For example, while you may be able to enjoy watching the Star Wars movies in any particular order, the proper ordinal begins with episode four, A New Hope, of course, right? I think we all agree. Okay, well, actually, that's a bad example. Uh, Most ordinals actually begin with one. So perhaps I should have used the Chronicles of Narnia as an example, (laughs) which is a bit of a nerdy joke because uh, you have the same problem. The first book uh, was actually the second book, and the the first book was written at the end. Read them. They're good. Anyways, ordinary time is about measuring the time. It's about counting the days, marking each day as significant, as having purpose. Each day matters and counts. But ordinary time is also about its most obvious meaning. It's about being ordinary. It's about knowing the part of God's story, part of God's presence is to be in the midst, not just of the big celebrations and the major moments of redemption, but God in the midst of everyday life. God's presence and moving and redeeming and loving in the most ordinary of our days, the most seemingly unimportant and meaningless moments of life is actually teeming with the love and the grace of God. And marking ordinary time creates space for us in the passage of time to remember the deep truths of this God-blessed reality. Now going back, there's actually one feast day that I skipped over. On January 6th, tucked in between Christmas season and ordinary time is what is called Epiphany. Now, some traditions, such as the Lutherans and some Methodists and then parts of the Eastern Church, celebrate Epiphany as a whole season instead of just the one day. Now, Epiphany, as the word suggests, it celebrates the revealing of Jesus as the Messiah. 
the appearance of the manifestation of the essential nature of Jesus. Epiphany is a eureka moment when there is a sudden realization of something. It's like when you can't figure out why people are smiling strangely at you and then you realize in a moment of epiphany that you're wearing pants that have a big hole in the backside. Not that that's ever happened to me. But it's that moment when it seems like all of a sudden a light went on and you see something for what it truly is in a way you've never seen it before. Epiphany in the Christian calendar is a day celebrating the manifestation of Jesus as God's Messiah, the Savior. Now, I want to come back to that, uh, so, but we're going to put Epiphany along with Ordinary Time to the side for a moment and briefly talk about something called the lectionary. Hopefully, when, you're, when I'm done, you'll see that all these things uh, come together. The lectionary uh, is another historical practice of many Christian traditions. The word lectionary comes from the Latin, which means common reading. It is a shared or communal reading, a reading that is shared in common with others and read in community. Now, the practice of a lectionary in the church uh, is a standardized schedule of scripture readings for certain days. A schedule that many different churches will share so that on any given Sunday, all of the churches are reading and praying through the same scriptures in unity with one another. So I believe that the passages that Colin read for us were from uh, the lectionary for today. Of course, uh, this unity is limited as there are different versions of the lectionary. Some versions cycle through the scriptures in one year. Some have a three-year cycle, which covers most of the Gospels and Psalms, but only a select amount of the Old Testament. Plus, different Christian traditions use different versions of the one in three-year cycles, though there are, of course, a couple that are most dominant. And, unlike the seasons, most of the versions we have now actually only date back a few hundred years so while the concept goes right back to Christianity's Jewish roots, the forms we have only go back to about the time of the Reformation. Now this is why here at Spring Garden, our worship leaders often lean on the lectionary for scripture passage to use in worship as a way of expressing and participating in the unity of worship with our brothers and sisters all over the world. But it's also why we don't feel compelled to always focus our worship around the lectionary. As we, are, we both share in the faith of the larger church, but we also have our own particular shared journey of faith as a particular community here at Spring Garden. All this being said, we have decided for the next couple of months we will follow along with uh, one of the most common lectionaries in the Western Church. And we'll be doing this uh, leading up to Lent. So in this Western three-year cycle lectionary, the gospel readings for January and February focus on the gospel of Mark. One of the four gospels we have telling the story of Jesus. Today, the first Sunday of ordinary time, after the Epiphany, our reading was the one uh, that Karen read for us. Jesus' baptism by John the Baptist. 
Mark wants us to be able to perceive the manifestation of the Messiah in Jesus. And so he paints the story in colors that will help us understand. Unlike the Gospels of Luke and Matthew, Mark does not tell us the story of Christmas. For Mark, the revealing of Jesus, the epiphany that Jesus is the Christ, begins not at his birth, but at his baptism. And so Mark starts here. Mark writes uh, in verse 1, The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. This is the beginning for Mark. And how does the good news begin? Mark's story begins where the Old Testament ended. We've talked about this before. In fact, last Advent, we spent the whole season talking about this. That the story of the Old Testament, the story of God's people, ends with silence. God stops speaking through the prophets. And for hundreds of years, the Jews asked themselves, when will God return to free us? When will the silence end and God will speak to us again? When will a prophet arise saying, thus says the Lord, to usher in the arrival of the Messiah and to save us from our oppressors? As the prophet Isaiah wrote, when time came for the silence to end and God to return to save his people, this voice would break through the silence in the wilderness to prepare a way for the coming king. And so, Mark begins after centuries of silence with, here comes Johnny. John appears in the wilderness just like the Jews expected announcing that God was about to be on the move once again. And making the same fashion statement as the prophets of old in his camel's hair outfit and his leather belt, John comes with the same message that the prophets had always brought. Repent, turn away from your ungodliness, and prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. What's more, he brings this message in the Jordan River, the very place where centuries before the Israelites entered the promised land after their slavery in Egypt. The exodus from Egypt and crossing Jordan's river was, as Jared Wilson writes, the Israelites' watershed moment of redemption, the moment of God's faithful intervention into time, the milestone in the Israelites' long memory of salvation history. And Mark paints this picture of God's salvation history once again, entering the promised land from the wilderness, putting an end to the silence with the voice of God's messenger calling his people back to repentance. Many Jews recognized this and came to John to confess their sins and to be baptized. Now, this baptism that John was practicing, there are a lot of different viewpoints amongst biblical scholars as to the source of John's baptism, where he got the specific one. But where there is agreement is that John's baptism was a ceremonial rite symbolizing their purification, their being made clean. The going under the waters was an expression of repentance that results in the forgiveness of sins. Now, it's important to note, I think, uh, and I'm not going to get into too much, but just to, to note that the baptism that John practiced is, I think, different from the one, the baptism we practice today. 
Themes of repentance and cleansing are part of our baptism. However, as Sam talked about last week, our baptism in Christ is not an act of our own repentance so much as it is an expression of our participation in the death and resurrection of Jesus. This includes, but is not centered on, and is not limited to our repentance, but is focused on the death and resurrection of Jesus, which in the story hasn't happened yet. As John the Baptist says himself, his baptism is just with water, but Jesus' baptism will be with the Holy Spirit. And so, having shown that the silence of God is over, a prophet has come to prepare the way for the Messiah, the coming king, through the gateway of the promised land. Mark finishes his epilogue of sorts with the arrival of Jesus. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now, as we dive into the waters of Jesus' baptism, and yes, the cheesy water pun was intended, I want to pick up the theme of epiphany again. So we're going to take that, we're going to bring it back up, as I think this helps us to enter the story uh, and Mark's purposes in telling it. Now, as I said, epiphany is like a light turning on. It is a moment of revelation. Let's think about light for a few moments. Now, next week, Sam is going to reference Isaac Newton, or maybe he won't, um, so I, but I thought I'd beat him to the punch. And that's what you call controlling the narrative. That way you think it was my idea simply because I went first, even though Sam had mentioned it before I thought of it. So you know how when light goes through cut glass at a certain angle or through a glass prism, you can see different colors. Now before Isaac Newton, it was thought that when light went through something and came out a different color, it was because the light was being degraded or being corrupted. But Newton, I just realized we changed camera angles. Newton proved that the colors are not a result of light being degraded, but that pure light itself is actually composed of different, ingre different ingredients, so to speak. Pure light is color. Pure light is all colors. And what happens when it goes through a prism is that uh, the different colors which make pure light, when they hit the glass, they refract, they bend, they change angles. But because they are different from one another, they actually change angles differently than the others. And so one color bends at a certain amount, the next a little more, and so on and so on. And then like, uh, and so on and so on, uh, until we see what is made as what we think of as a rainbow. Roy G. Biv, red, orange, yellow, blue, green, indigo, violet. Now, Newton was able to prove this by taking those refracted colors and putting them in a prism. So for you, you know, pure light on the screen goes left to right. But if you start from the right, Newton was able to show from the right the broken up colors. You put them back into a prism, they will actually come out again as pure light. 
The colors refract back together once again into pure light, like the Avengers Lego movie reassembled. Pure light refracts, and more of what the light is in its purest form is revealed. Now, second image I want to show you uh, is the light spectrum. There we go. Now, don't worry. You don't need to understand what all of this stuff means. I sure don't. Um, but for our purposes, you can ignore all the numbers and the words and just look at the pretty colors. On the bottom, you can see... Um, Sorry, it's, I'm having trouble with two cameras, TV over here, and uh, putting my hand out and looking at my notes. On the bottom, you can see that the colors, right? The colors of the rainbow going from red to violet. These are colors that are visible to the human eye. However, now look at the top. You may not actually be able to see it. The top diagram is the fullness of light and color. And that very small band of colors that's kind of in the kind of two-thirds of the way through, that is all of the light and color that our eyes can see. So the entirety of the bottom one is contained simply in that one little tiny strip of rainbow. That is all that our eyes can perceive. In other words, our human eyes can't even perceive most of the infinitude of light and color. Pure light goes into infinity and we can only perceive the smallest amount. Thanks, Dale. In this way, in comparison to the infinitude of light, human perception is limited to what is revealed to us, and yet what little we can see is still unbelievably beautiful. Now, as I said, Mark wants us to be able to perceive the manifestation of the Messiah, the epiphany of the Messiah in Jesus. And so he paints the story in colors that will help us understand. Metaphorically, in the same way that pure, infinite light enters a prism and refracts to colors that we can perceive, I think that the waters of Jesus' baptism, the pure light of the one God, is refracted in a way that helps our limited perception to comprehend something of the infinite God. I think... One epiphany Mark wants us to have is that the one true God, the one pure light, is in its very nature, Father, Son, and Spirit, three in one. And while most of what this means in God's affinity is way beyond our perception and our comprehension, God chose to use the waters of Jesus' baptism to reveal the three in oneness. To distinguish the three persons of the divine, one pure light God in a way that we can at least begin to grasp with our human um, perception. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my son with whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Here, at the beginning of the revealing of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, the pure light of God is revealed to be three in one. Where the Heavenly Father speaks, the Holy Spirit descends, and the Son of God is revealed for who He is. Not simply Jesus, the guy from nowhere town of Nazareth, 
but the Son of God. However, unlike a prism refracting light, where light is but a created thing obeying the rules of quantum physics, this revealing by God's own cho- is by God's own choosing, His own action and mercy revealing Himself as He truly is, Father, Son, and Spirit. With the voice coming down from heaven, for the first time in centuries, God speaks. And the word God speaks are words that would have been familiar with the Jews. As they come from Psalm 2, verse 7, and Isaiah 42, verse 1. A proclamation of the belovedness of the Son, the servant whom God Almighty upholds. And alongside revealing the three persons of the Godhead, the divinity of Jesus and his place as the sent servant of God, the waters of Jesus' baptism are also an epiphany of the humanity that Jesus took on. Now let's remember the baptism that John was practicing was one of repentance, one of confessing and turning away from ungodliness, of being cleansed of sin And turning towards godliness. But Jesus himself didn't need to repent. Scriptures tell us he was without sin. And therefore in his divinity he did not need to repent or turn away from anything. He did not need to be cleansed by the waters. Yet Jesus uses this moment to show that he fully embraced his humanity. As theologian James Torrance writes, Jesus said to John, baptize me. I will submit to the verdict of guilty for them. He identified with sinners that he might take their place as their substitute under the judgment of God. For Mark, Jesus taking on the fullness of humanity begins at the beginning of the revealing of Jesus in the waters of John's cleansing baptism of repentance. He didn't simply put on human flesh like you or I wear clothes uh, that we can take on, put on or take off. He entered the very realities of our humanity. Somehow in an infinity of mystery, he brought our humanity into the pure light of his divinity. And finally, in this moment of pure light refracting in the waters, we also see in this turning point in God's story of redemption a new relationship within the Godhead himself. God's character may never change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But that doesn't mean he does not do new things. And for the salvation of the world, God was willing to do a new thing within God's very relationship with his own self. The Father... Jesus and the Holy Spirit existed together in perfect unity through all of eternity. Yet here in this moment, a new form of relationship occurs between them as the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus. Never before in the eternity of God did the Holy Spirit have to descend upon Jesus. God is showing us that a new thing is happening even within the Godhead himself so that we can know, that we can see, that we can have that eureka moment of epiphany 
of seeing that God's love goes beyond eternity. And in this moment, God does a new thing even within God's self so that we can be brought back into relationship with him, us and all of his creation. Here at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, it feels like we shouldn't call it uh, epiphany. We should call it epiphanies. It's amazing how many ways in Jesus' baptism, the pure light of God reveals and reflects the beauty of who God is. And the beauty of what he has done to reveal himself to us. God knows that our eyes are not able to see the fullness of who he is. That we can only perceive the smallest spectrum of the magnitude of God's light. And so, in his love and grace, God chooses to reveal himself to us in ways that we can at least begin to fathom and to perceive. In a prophet calling out in the wilderness, a heavenly father breaking open the heavens to speak words of belovedness, a Holy Spirit descending, and a Messiah who, though fully God, became fully human for our salvation. God is faithful. God is revealing. God is shining light made of infinitely beautiful colors that we cannot even begin to comprehend. Light that our human eyes can only see refractions of. And so we receive the gift of what God reveals, but with the humility to know it isn't the full picture. With the humility to repent and turn away from our own sin and turn back to God. A God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Who ushers in his kingdom from the wilderness into the promised land of our ordinary everyday. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, as we sang, Christ be magnified in us. Like a magnifying glass that focuses light to a central point, may we be centered on you, Jesus, as you reveal the Father through the Holy Spirit. May we receive the light of your Holy Spirit and live out our lives by his presence in us as he turns our eyes to see you, Jesus, as you reveal the Father. And as a prism reflects and refracts your light, may our lives glorify you in the beautiful colors of life in your spirit. We thank you for the epiphany that you, Father, Son, and Spirit, have done all things that we may know you and that we with the rest of creation may have hope in you. We pray this in your most holy and awesome name. Amen.